Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 38 through the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. This is the very word of God. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? As we come to you, Heavenly Father, you have blessed us with such abundance. Yet we humble ourselves to recognize as such that not only have we received such material blessing, but we even have your graciousness in providing for us a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, the one who came born of a virgin, who lived a perfect obedient life, who was crucified on the cross receiving the eternal punishment for sin upon himself, and yet was vindicated by the, by the, from the grave as he rose from the grave on the third day, even ascending into heaven, having been witnessed by so many hundreds. And because of this Christ, this risen Christ, there is now forgiveness of sins, even as we have just been told through Jared leading us through the liturgy. O oh Lord, we do pray you'd forgive us of our sins and lift our eyes to see you, to see you as you are, to give our whole lives to you, not half our lives or a quarter of our lives or three quarters of our lives, but all of our lives to you. We pray that in these next few moments as we're going to hear your word, that your word would sing and sting, that it would wound and heal, that it would come to us in power. Lord, we we need your word in this land. We need your word to work. Lord, we pray that your word would come even to the leaders of this land. We pray for your word to come to Justin Trudeau, that he would be granted repentance and believe. We pray as well for Danielle Smith, our premier. We pray that she would turn 
from trusting in her own righteousness and flee to the righteousness of Christ. For Mayor Gondek, we ask that she would repent of her sins and so be saved. Heavenly Father, we do pray that your word would go forth. We pray for Pastor Josh Carey this morning and Grace Cochran Church. As they go through trials, Lord, in that church, we pray that Pastor Josh would hold forth your word and herald your gospel. Holy Father, I pray that you would act now, that you would work not only in Cochrane but in Calgary, that you would work here and that you would give us your grace even through your word. Come now, we pray, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, before I begin, obviously this is a strange arrangement up here. Uh, you saw me sitting awkwardly here. Uh, the Strobert family is sitting up here very bravely. The elders, families, we had asked, we had asked for them to sit downstairs uh, to kind of blaze the trail to make room, but maybe uh, because maybe people heard that I was preaching, fewer people came, so there is more room. But nevertheless, some of these, some of these adjustments are, are simply to accommodate the great blessing it's been that many of you have wanted to come and hear the Word of God and gather together with God's people. But there is no illusion as we come this morning to to the fact that for many of you, you might have come even this week, coming to church with this thought on your mind where you're at the place of giving up. You maybe have thought this. You, you maybe thought, I, I give up. You, you've maybe said that, or you've thought it, or you've muttered it, or you've even grumbled it. You've thought, I give up. Maybe, maybe you've been so beaten down by your circumstances that you just don't have any more will to resist them. If you've thought that or felt that, maybe even this week, I give up. It means you surrender. Of course, when it comes to the world which God has created and the Creator who is sovereign and who is holy and He's triune, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When it comes to Him, every sinner throughout history must give up. They must give up. They must stop resisting Him. And then they can say with that old hymn, I surrender all. And that's the title of my message this morning. I surrender all. How deplorables can have more hope than experts. Now our passage here that I just read has a deplorable. You know that term that was made famous by the American politician Hillary Clinton. I will not say any more on that. I'll get myself in trouble. But in this case, the deplorable is a widow. A widow 
Someone without a husband, with no social safety net in the first century in Israel. She had to rely on the charity of other people in Israel. By contrast, the expert in our passage is the scribe. A scribe was a Jewish scholar, someone who wrote about matters of biblical interpretation and who gave expert opinion on on issues of the matters of the day, whatever's important. So in a theocracy such as Israel, the man who interprets what God says becomes very powerful. And that's where then now you have then these two characters. You have the expert and you have the deplorable. And with these two main characters, Jesus was unpacking the plight of Israel. The plight of Israel as Jesus came bursting onto the scene. There is an expert class, and this expert class had become exploiters. And then there was an impoverished class, the deplorables, who had become the exploited. So this, although this passage is very much about how we relate to God, it is also about the exploiters and the exploited. Now you may know, you may wonder if I'm the senior pastor, where have I been? But we were on vacation in down in the states, and uh, one of the interesting things we we went to Los Angeles, and in Los Angeles you have one block that is filled with vagrants and their tents and waste with no effort of cleaning anything up. But it's not all like that, because you go one block over, and the, the lawns are pristine, and there is not, not a gum wrapper for garbage. It is perfectly clean, perfectly secure, manicured, Tesla's in the driveway, of course. Rich and poor on display. And in Israel, this kind of contrast was there, and I think Jesus was pointing that out. So if you recall, it's been a while since we've been in Mark 12, but earlier in Mark 12, you had the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the scribes. And they had all asked Jesus a series of entrapment questions, trying to, trying to catch Jesus in a trap, kind of what we would call a, a gotcha question. And he was doing these, they were doing these kinds of things to Jesus. And now at this point, Jesus singles out one of those groups, the scribes. The Greek word is the grammatus. They're dealing with grammar. You can figure it out. They're dealing with the grammar of the Bible, their Old Testament Bible. And he's going to contrast the expert scribe with the deplorable widow. Now the point that we're going to take up at the end is whether or not you and I will surrender all to God as the widow did, or will we refuse to give to God and we're just going to do things our way, like this expert class. That's where we're going. But to begin with, in verse 38, Jesus says, you see it there again, in his teaching, he said, watch out, literally. That's it. Look, 
Blepo, look, beware, watch out, beware of the, of the scribes. And then it says, who like to walk around in long robes, like greetings in the marketplaces, and so on and so forth. Now, my paraphrase of the end of verse 38, describing the, the scribes as those, and this would be my paraphrase, those who calculate or contrive to live with long robes, greetings in public, the best seats in the house, and the guest of honor at dinner. It's not just that they like it. They want it. You might like it, but they they want it. They calculate and plot and plan to seek to get it. And that is a key difference. The the difficult grammatical construction is certainly hard, but I don't think the ESV has it quite right here in in my view. The point is that the accolades of status are the things that's what the scribe wants. These scribes, they're, they're, not, they're not studying the Bible and helping people to know the Bible in order to help the people so much. It's that they want this status. That's what they're looking for. And he exercises his will and designs his life to get them. It's all very calculated. The point is not actually that the long robes or the public recognition or the proto-cathedra seat or the guest of honor invitation are inherently wrong or bad. The point is that a life calculated to get that stuff, calculated to get that security and status, is wrong. It's very similar to Paul's injunction when he said that the love of money is the root of all what? Evil. 1 Timothy 6.10. Often everybody says, oh, it's the love of money. Or it's, you say money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money. Because the Bible talks lots about money and it's good stewardship and provision from God. It's the love and lust for money that's the root of all evil. Now you might be asking the elders or myself, if, if we've been calculating to get ourselves in then the proto-cathedra right here, this, this best seat or this first seat. Um, but I, I don't think anybody's calculated to pursue that because as is evidence, they're not sitting up here. The elders don't want to sit here. <laughs> But they'll sit up here if there's no seats there. Sit up here so that they make a little space for you. As is, many of the elders' families I see have come up and sat up here because there's a little bit more room, so that's great. But we are having these space constraints, so we're trying to find ways to make more space so that you aren't literally shoulder to shoulder. Although, as I see in the back, you're pretty much shoulder to shoulder back there. That's the difference. See, these scribes, they are experts, but what they want is to be the expert class. It's not just to be skilled. They want to be part of a group. They want to be part of a class, to have the status. 
Now, not everyone was like this. You remember earlier in chapter 12, there was one scribe who was doing his good biblical interpretation work, and he asked Jesus some very sincere questions. And when he responded to Jesus thoughtfully, Jesus said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Verse 34. And so there were those. But most of the scribes, when we deal with them, it was something different. The sinister part of these scribes, these experts, was that their cold calculation to seek that status was at the expense of the vulnerable. You see it in verse 40. You see it there. He says, They are those who devour. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. This is a key point in the calculation of this scribe expert in Israel. They were consuming the very last wealth of the widows. Getting their last dollar. Devouring the deplorables. And Jesus wanted his people to be ever vigilant in spotting these wolves. He had said, of course, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Beware of whom? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Paul, he would later warn the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 and verse 29. I know, he said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. When we were on our vacation, we were in in Phoenix, and we drove, we were in Scottsdale, and we happened to drive by Mark Driscoll's church, I guess I'll call it. Driscoll, if you maybe knew, he was one of those rising reformed celebrities. He was, he was kind of famous, even, you know, even though he's kind of only Christian famous, which isn't very famous at all. But, but he was famous amongst our circles. And he had wrecked a church in Seattle and then moved to Phoenix to start another one. And then, as I, I kind of looked into it a little bit, um, it's become now not really a church, but a religious business. And, and even the qualities of this religious business now, from what I gather, resemble much more like a cult than a church. Highly controlling, no accountability whatsoever. But that's how it always works. And so I think Driscoll and what he's doing, and there are many examples like him, but they are devouring the vulnerable. Because people go there as vulnerable, and they get chewed up and spit out. False teachers and scribes like these will always exploit the deplorables. They'll exploit the needy. They will exploit the well-meaning. Wolves and these evil scribes, they're not truthful. Everything they do, verse 40, 
is a pretense. For a pretense, they make long prayers. Now, the, the Greek word for pretense is prophasis. Prophasis. And even though you don't know Greek, you, 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 you can get how it sounds. Namely, by definition, that which appears in front. That which is put forward to hide the true state of things. Prophasis. Putting a false face up front. And so long prayers are made to put a false face up front. What a sad state for Israel to be in at this time. Jesus had to warn people to watch out for the scribes. The very people that had been entrusted with interpreting the Bible to them. And Israel had become so corrupt that the scribes were becoming wolves in devouring the last bit of wealth that the vulnerable had. And so then Jesus said, there is, verse 40 at the end, there is a greater condemnation for these people. Actually, even the phrase greater condemnation, that might not be strong enough. Truly, there is a greater damnation. There's a greater damnation for them. A greater crisis, crema, a greater judgment. In chapter 13, as we will get to in weeks ahead, chapter 13 is all about the greater damnation which awaits people who know what is right and who play at what is right, but they exploit those who trust them. There is a greater damnation. Now this damnation is part of the linkage between chapter 12 with all of the metaphors about the tenants and the questions from the religious leaders, and then chapter 13, which, all, which has all of these signs of coming judgment on Israel. So what I'm trying to point out to you is that the scribe and the widow represent all of Israel, all the people of Israel in these two figures. You either slot in one or the other. There are some who are devouring, and then there are some who are hoping. And that's, that's where it was. Some who are devouring, some who are hoping. Now, just as there are degrees of reward in heaven, there's degrees of recompense in hell. For Jesus, he even said, we're told right here, that there is a greater condemnation upon those who would exploit the vulnerable with a smile. Or to put it in a common phrase, and I say it with great gravity and fear, there is a special place in hell for such people. Now today, of course, in the West, not just Western Canada, but in the West, we're told that all of us are exploiters. All of us are colonizers and devourers of others. The problem with that very Marxist message, of course, is that 
the people who are actually doing some exploiting, they get away with it. If everybody's an exploiter, then nobody is. But all of us then need to realize as a result that calculating our way out of a marriage or calculating our way into a job or calculating our way over a friend or calculating our way around a law, all of these put us in threat of being like this scribe, of being under a greater judgment. Is that how you've been living? Living by calculation? Living by how how you can manipulate the situation? Some of you are extremely skilled in these all of these little manipulations. You, you exhaust yourself with manipulations and exploitations and trying to get stuff out of other people for your own benefit, to improve your own status. Oh, what, what a terrifying thing that you would then live that way and yet have this facade of religiosity have this prophasis of pretense. Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Calvary Grace Church. And then they're thinking, wow, this guy, he would sell me for a nickel. It's an awful thing to be that kind of person of such hypocrisy, of such prophasis, that you would be an exploiter in those ways. And ours is an exploiting age, so it's easy to become worldly and be like the world, so therefore to be like an exploiter. So this is a great warning for all of us. Certainly we th- we, it's easy to think about the false teachers. It's easy to point them out. But what about the exploitation and calculation that any of us may have? Now the big contrast, of course, in this passage is this other person whom Jesus makes us notice. She is the widow. Interesting, if you look then at verse 41. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people. He watched the people. He's a people watcher. Imagine Jesus just sitting there and watching you. Right? He's just, he's, he's just watching. What are you doing? He, he knows exactly who you are. He knows all of your motivations. He knows exactly what's going on, and he's just watching you to see what you're going to do. He had said, watch out for the scribes, and now he's watching. He's going to watch all the religious people. Look at them come in. Oh, they're coming in. They're coming to the treasury. This is the treasury at the temple. And he's watching carefully with scrutiny. He, he, he comes and he directs the disciples' attention to the temple. Because that's what he's watching. He's watching the people. And of course, the temple is going to be the focus of chapter 13. So he's switching the scene. He's watching people at the temple. And that's what he's going to talk about the temple for a whole chapter after this. 
in the temple, then there's this treasury. It's, it's just an offering box, you could say. It's where the donations would go or what we might even call user fees. You know, that's where they're collected from the Jews for the maintenance of the temple as people would come and use the temple's services. Of course, even back then, they had to somehow figure out how to pay for buildings, uh, I can say with, you know, us having a mortgage. Um, but I'm very thankful, actually, just as a comment. You know, remember, if you were here before Christmas, we were saying, well, we're really praying that the Lord will provide financially for us. Well, I think we got 20% of the budget in December. So thank you for all your generosity that way to the maintenance of this building and all of this. But all these things are common, right? We've got an offering box in the back in the foyer, just a little wooden box. You know, it's, it's, we, we actually inherited it from another church. Simple wooden box. Most folks don't put their money in the box. They, they send it by e-transfer, right? Um, but collections are a part of any religious community. Now Jesus observed then, he's watching people giving their money. And so he said in verses 41 and 42, he said, the rich, he sees them coming in, the rich put in large, large sums. Large sums. They put in big money. But the widow, the widow puts in the equivalent, and this is my own calculation, puts in the equivalent of one meal. The cost of one meal for one day. One meal. Into the box. Like her last meal. I, I think if I was, I mean, the way I calculate, I, I mean, I could be wrong. Converting it to today, maybe it's like four or five bucks. Her last five bucks, let's say. The, not five bucks. That's maybe what you might give today. No, it's her last five bucks. She doesn't have nothing after that. She doesn't have, you know, five bucks coming in. She doesn't have, you know, somebody has given her a gift card. It's her last five bucks. It's, it's all that she's got. I mean, you know what it is. I mean, my boys after, you know, all the kids after church, they go over to 7-Eleven, and if we let them have that as their only meal for Sunday lunch, we know the quality of the food that they're going to get for five bucks at 7-Eleven, and it's not going to be very good because you can't buy much for five bucks at 7-Eleven. But if that's kind of what your diet's going to be, which every teenager here, I think, wants a 7-Eleven diet, it seems. I'm just getting at my own boys. I don't know. Nobody else is into the joke, but they, they get it. They know exactly what we're talking about, what I'm talking about. But that's kind of putting this donation of the widow in perspective. The rich, of course, gave out of their abundance. It's just a percentage. They, they just give a percentage. You know, there's a percentage goes to tax. There's a percentage goes, you know, to this investment por- portfolio. There's a percentage goes over here. And oh, yeah, then there's a percentage to, to the temple treasury. This cost of doing business. Just put that in. The widow gave her seven, gave up her Seven Eleven lunch money. 
It was the last penny. She, she gave all, all that she had. So what does it say in verse 44? Look at it again. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So in this sense, this poor widow surrendered all. The lunch money wasn't just the lunch money. It was her entire net worth. It was all of it. And you know what? When you're at that point and you're giving up all your resources, what you're doing is not just giving the money. You're saying, I'm giving away my future. Because that's what it is. You worried about money? If you're worried about money, you are worried about the future. Like, that's what it means. It's not the money itself. It's about what's going to happen in the future. That's what you're worried about. And she gave up her future there at that moment. She had no hope. She had no hope in in the lunch money. She had no husband. Apparently no family looking after her. So she comes and she's... She's bringing and she's putting her future in the box, which is not to put it in the box. She was putting it and giving it to the Lord. Here's my future, Lord. I'm just going to give it to you. I got nothing. There's no other future that I have for me. But why? Why Why would she think about it? Why would she do such a foolish thing? Practically. Because you, you, you can have your kind of, oh, I'm in church, I'm supposed to think spiritually right now. But you know for a fact that if, if you're you know, talking to her, it's like, oh, don't, don't give your lunch money. You've know, you you got to have something to eat here for lunch. Like that, why would you surrender your future here? That, that's imprudent. But Jesus didn't think it was foolish. He calculated, he said, that she put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Not just one of them, all of them. All of their contributions. Well, of course, obviously she hadn't in monetary terms. They'd given way more than her. But Jesus was right. She did put in more. She put in more than everyone else, because she was all in. She was all in. She was totally surrendered to God, and this is the key point. She was surrendered to Him because her only hope was in Him. Her only hope. She had no future without God. Nothing. Zip. Nada. She, her only hope was in Him. It was as if all of her hopes, all of her securities, all of her crutches, all of her plan Bs, all of her backup plans and the backups to the backups. You know, you're one of those people, right? You've got a backup plan and you've got a backup to the backup plan. 
She had all that stuff, and it was just all stripped away, whether it was stripped away for her, but in this instance, she's stripping it away herself, and all that's left is God. That's all I've got. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. And so her life was literally in God's hands, functionally, practically. So you've got the scribe, you've got the widow. But then what about us? What about us? What about you and me? Because it is quite striking to see then this widow. And then probably what you're what you're thinking, I'm going to make about three observations and apply this for us. What you're thinking is that, oh, well, what am I, what's he going to say? Am I, what am I, am I supposed to empty my bank account? Like, what, I'm scared. What, what's he going to lay on me? What's the, what's the guilt trip here? The guilt trip coming in hard, right? You know, that's, that's, that's what we're waiting for, right? This is where, then the pastor's supposed to manipulate you to get more money, right? To, you know, be like the widow and you need to give more to the campaign, right? That's kind of the thought. But, of course, the first observation is this. I surrender all does not mean choosing to be a widow. I mean, you, you, you don't want to, you know, all you wives out there, you might be upset with your husbands, but you don't want your husbands to get killed, Right? You don't want your husbands to get killed. <laughs> Might have been a little bit more truth in that silence than I was expecting, actually. No, you're not like that. Should you clean out your bank account and give it to the church? Well, obviously not either. The widow... Consider what her position was in. She was weak, she's poor, she's in a vulnerable position. But this isn't something that Christians are aspiring to practically. God wants us to be productive so that we can give to others. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's, that's why you need to work hard. And as I've said for many, many years, you, you've got to make money. You, you've got to be productive and make money. Not because you're seeking some status or be a part of a class, but that you can be productive so that you have something to share. So if you're married... You share it with your spouse, and then you have children, you share it with your children, and then you're productive and you're sharing it with the church, you're sharing possibly with neighbors or extended family, and you're able to share. Now, nobody obligates you that you have to do all those things, but if you're productive, you have the freedom to choose how the fruit of your production is shared. And so that's a good thing. You want to go from from being less able to do that to more able to do that. 
See, the problem with the rich people was not their money. That, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't their money. It was the comparatively little generosity that they were offering in comparison to the widow who was surrendering all to God. That's why it's so difficult when you have wealth to, to then truly give yourself to God. But then when you find godly people who are wealthy, it's always amazing then to see their sense of stewardship about everything they have, which can be way more, they have a much more of a sense that it all belongs to God, much more than people who have a lot less money than them. Jesus told the rich young man to sell all and follow him. Mark 10, Matthew 19, Luke 18, you know the story. But likely he had no family and he was hoarding his wealth to himself. Like he didn't have these dependents that he could be sharing with. So he's just hoarding it. It's just all about him and his status. If he would have sold it all, as Jesus told him, Jesus would have then helped him see that he needed to surrender himself completely to God. So that's the first observation. I surrender all doesn't mean choosing to be a widow. But secondly, we have to see that there are exploiters out there. We have to see there are exploiters. There are wolves who will take you in your vulnerability and they will seek to devour you. You see, this is the tricky thing because, of course, when you start, and you felt it as we were looking at the widow, and she's showing her devotion by giving all of her money, that guilt, that sense of guilt is exactly where the wolves, where these devourers, where they target. Because if you feel guilty, they will swoop in to try to exploit your guilt and say, ah, I can alleviate your guilt if you empty your bank account and give it to this ministry. They don't really care about the deplorable, the weak, or the vulnerable. They want that money, and they know they're right there, ripe for the picking. Now, the word faith, prosperity, preachers, the preachers on TV, generally if they're on TV, they're no good. I, but, but then the, the problem is, I can't, you know, there is good guys on the internet and there's all kinds of bad stuff. So I can't say, oh, if they're on the internet, they're bad because there's lots of good ones on there. But the word faith, guys, prosperity preachers, you give money and you get blessing is the formula. They target your guilt. And when you're feeling weak and low, or somebody that you know who's not well taught, they want to target them and devour them. That's wolfish behavior. I'd also suggest, though, there's, a, there's actually a new pack of wolves in the churches. And they, they want to, they're a little different. They want to shame you for having convictions, and they want to shame you for speaking up about the madness in the world. And those wolves, what they want to do is they want to say, well, no, you're not the vulnerable widow. You're the exploiter. 
and you should feel guilty for being an exploiter, and I've got the way to alleviate your guilt. And so they say, you need to be silent. You need to stop speaking up about all these ungodly things. You need to stop, just don't talk about it, don't be in politics, don't get political. And they want to exploit you to assist them in their religious and political power. See, that's, that's that whole, there's a whole movement that way that's emerging. So when people try to make you feel guilty, but then they offer the solution rather than pointing you to the gospel, watch out. Watch out. There is also those who want you to rush headlong with all of your passions, get excited, especially in the political realm, get really excited, rah, rah, and then they're going to entrap you to do their bidding, to give your time and your talent and your treasure to their cause rather than to Christ. They're, they're wolves. They're wolves. So you've got to watch out for the wolves. Don't need to be a widow. You can surrender all without being a widow, seeking to be a widow. You need to watch out for the wolves exploiting your vulnerability and even your sense of guilt. But third, the hope that the widow had is the, ha- is the same hope offered to you, though, when you are weak and vulnerable and ashamed. And, and this is the marvel. The hope is yours and mine when we give ourselves to God. It's a very simple message, actually. And I use the phrase, I surrender all, for the title of my sermon. It's a line from a hymn that's a, that's a good desire. But the point needs to be clear. When we surrender, we rest in God. We don't look at ourselves and say, am I surrendering enough? That's the falsehood of some of the, actually the, the kind of theological crowd where that hymn was so often sung. It's not a question, am I surrendering enough? Oh, let me look in here. Am I surrendering enough? No, that's not the issue. It's I surrender all because my focus is completely on the security that is in Christ. My focus is on the future that God has for me and I'll trust Him for the future. It's not, oh, am I doing enough? That's to focus on you rather than on the Lord. To surrender to God is simply to believe in Him and yield to His will every day. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, Matthew four, Matthew 6 Mark 14, and Luke 22. The point is that whether you're rich or whether you're poor, we're all relatively rich, basically, in the West here. But it doesn't matter. The point is, will we give ourselves completely to God, not calculating how to give parts of our life to God and then keeping back some parts for ourselves? So if you've got wealth, are you stewarding it in the fear of the Lord? Giving it to God. Now, you're, you know, you're paying your own mortgage and 
you know, buying your own vehicles and going on your own vacations, but are you doing it as unto the Lord? That's the point. Are you holding back, though? And there's, there's people here, I know, you're holding back. You're like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to hold back these other parts of my life. You need to surrender all. I just want to close with a, a true story. Thinking a little bit about Scotland. It was Robbie Burns' night the other night, and my family is talking about Scottish stuff of late. And I just read the story yesterday about the, the revival in 1939 in the Isle of Lewis. So that's northern Scotland, and there was this prayer meeting during the revival. It was just one of the many household prayer meetings in many, many homes. And then they're, so they're having the, they're going to have the prayer meeting there, and, and then all of a sudden there's a knock at the door, and the neighbor shows up. And the neighbor comes, and they open the door for the neighbor, and the neighbor is weeping. And the neighbor steps in and goes down on his knees. And all the people in the prayer meeting, then they all went down on their knees. And they all prayed together. And that man, who had been a, he, he was not a Christian, he'd been living in Canada, and he just came back to the Isle of Lewis in Scotland, and he, had, he was converted there that night. And, it, and the story is told that 50 years later, the person recounting the story, 50 years later, that person was still going on with the Lord, following Jesus Christ. You see, it's a very simple thing, but it's one where we can forget God's ability to work. But when you see someone come through the door in tears, going down on their knees, and here they are, surrendering all, they know that their only hope for their future is in Christ alone. And there are many people here in this room, many people who you're coming, you've been invited, you're, you're trying to figure this religion thing out. But let me just say, it's as simple as that. You can either calculate your way in a manipulating way through life, and religion is just one more manipulation. Or you can surrender all. Surrender yourself, your past, your present, and your future, and surrender it to Jesus Christ, and so be saved. That is what you are called to do today, to believe on him and be saved. It doesn't matter. You're not trusting in a decision. You're not trusting in the past. You're trusting in the living Christ to save you. May it be so for all of us. My question is, will you surrender to him today, right now? Will you stop calculating, let go of the resistance? Will you, will you see the generosity and the hope and the, the security and provision which God provides? And will you see then God's glory and majesty, dominion and authority? Will you see them and that that entitles him to devotion and worship? Will you see that? Will you surrender yourself and give up? I give up. I give up, God, but I give up to you.
I surrender all. May it be true for each one of you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, I pray that there would be many people here today who would raise the white flag and surrender. They would stop fighting against you. They would stop calculating. They would stop holding their future in their foolish hands. And that they would submit themselves and let you take over. Lord, I pray that you would do that deep and powerful work because only you can. And we'll trust you for our future, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise as we worship, oh, this lovely, wonderful God. Please stand. Just a word before I give the benediction. There is a newcomer's lunch downstairs after the service. If you're new here, which might be half the church, you're welcome to come to eat. Uh, But we'll have a discussion about some of these deep things of God. And just just to remember that that Christ has come uh, even to redeem from all of your penalties and also to replace all of your performances so you can can trust Him. Your, Your surrender to Him is secure. And I just invite you all to turn to Him and to surrender to Him. And we hear then these words from Colossians 3.17. Then whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Why through Him? Because you've surrendered all to Him. Go in peace. You're dismissed.